This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I was just about to get ready to talk and realize I had put the microphone in front of my mug here. Hey, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Whatever's on your heart or mind, all you have to do is call us, and I'll do the best that I can. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app, uh, Calvary Chapel San Antonio mobile app, uh, you can send your questions in that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR um, app, th- their app, and uh, send your questions in to us that way as as well. We go back on schedule tonight, actually, so I'm really, really happy about that. We're going to have our first Wednesday Bible study now. This will be three weeks since our last one, just because of the Christmas and New Year's holiday. Tonight, I'm going to be teaching uh, the 64th chapter of the prophecy of Isaiah. I've only got two more chapters, two more studies to do in Isaiah, and we will be done. And then we're going to be moving on to the book of First Chronicles. And I'm really excited about that. I love the history. It's one of my, one of my things. So I really enjoy teaching those things. Well, I think that's everything that we need to know. Paula will be here live tomorrow. You need to know that. So ladies, especially for you, if you have any questions or comments, I find it an interesting dynamic. When Paul is here, most of the callers are men. When I'm here by myself, it seems like most of the callers are women. Interesting. Here is our first question, and it is uh, one that was just sent in to me today, so I let it jump the line because I want to keep it fresh. Uh, so, Pastor Ron, I think this is important. Uh, Pastor Ron, you said the other day, and it was on Monday's program that the reference is to by Samuel, uh, that you never had any doubts or issues with your eternal security. Is that even possible? Don't you think it might make people who are honest about their own doubts pretend instead of being real? Samuel, a couple things. I, I hope that I'm never saying anything that isn't true. So if, if what I'm saying is true, that I have never had any doubts or issues with my eternal security, uh, of course that means it's possible by definition. Um, I'll go one step further, Samuel. I think this is what God desires for everybody. 
Now, I understand that a lot of people have doubts. Most of those doubts are a result of sin. Most of those doubts are people who are not in the Word of God regularly. I think most of those doubts, uh, they're listening to things that, that are, are non-Christian messages on the Internet, YouTube, or others, and they don't have the, the background in the, in the Scriptures to refute it, to stand by faith. I think sometimes people doubt because their faith is weak. But I understand that people do have doubts. Now, I don't want anybody to pretend, and I'm certainly not holding myself up as an example, but here's what I want you to think about, Samuel. If God promises you, I mean, if the God who saved you, I, I think most people would say, I struggle with doubts, but I'm a Christian. But, but if God who saved you isn't able to sustain you, to carry you, he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He is the author and the finisher or perfecter of our faith. Do you not think God wants us to believe that? So Samuel, my, my, my motive is never to say, well, you should be spiritual like me. You know, I've never had any doubts. It's just a fact. I've never had any doubts. Jesus said, if you abide in him, he will abide in you. And I don't think, Samuel, that anybody who is abiding in Christ has ever had any doubts about their salvation while they're abiding in him. So what's the question? The question is, are we abiding in Christ or not? Not only is it possible, but this is what God wants. Imagine how distressing it must be to him when he's rescued you from your sin, he's promised you heaven, he's guaranteed it with the Holy Spirit, a deposit who guarantees our inheritance. Imagine how it distresses him when we approach him and say, well, I don't believe it. My faith is weak. I just don't believe it. So these are the kind of things that we've got to stand firm. We've got to stay so close to Jesus, uh, Samuel, that uh, truthfully, there's just no possibility of ever slipping back into that place of doubt when the doubts come. And I, I don't doubt, but I have... The enemy lies to me. I used to, to uh, it doesn't happen anymore, thank the Lord. But um, I, I would get up and teach or be preparing for uh, a Bible study that I thought was especially important. And the enemy would always whisper things to me like, well, what if it's not true? Do you really believe it? And see, then I'd recognize that that's the enemy. And because it's the enemy, I don't want to talk to him. I know what I believe, and I choose to remember those things rather than dwell on the doubts that are brought by somebody who wants to destroy me. So again, Samuel, I don't want anybody to pretend. But what I want Christians to do, and if this is um, something you're going through, Samuel, I don't want you to pretend that, that you're okay. What I want you to do is open your Bible and let it hit your heart. Not just your mind, but let it hit your heart. And I think we all have to wrestle with, do you believe what the Bible says? It's a promise. If you feel like the whole world's coming against you, if God is for you, who can be against you? You have to choose what you're going to believe. Think about Abraham. He had to look at the fact. He didn't deny that he was an old man or that, that his wife Sarah was, was old and, and barren. He wasn't in denial but what he did was he considered two possibilities. The first possibility is that God 
is lying to him. God said you're going to have a child. Even Sarah in her old age is going to deliver a child. But God can't lie. So he would look at his body, dead, unable to have children, and then have to decide what's more impossible. God is lying to me or that this old body is going to have a child. And he concluded that, well, it's impossible that God could lie. That's very, very important for us. And every doubt that the enemy's ever going to throw at you needs to be dealt with completely and quickly in that way. So that's what's really important, Samuel. Um, again, there's nothing super spiritual about me at all. It's just that I've done my best for 28 and a half years, or almost 29 years now, to be with Jesus every day. It's the, 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 the highlight of my day every day, to hang out with him. And that means if I blow it, if I do something I shouldn't have done, if I say or think something I shouldn't have said or thought, then I don't suddenly think, oh, well, maybe God's mad because the Bible says that's not his character, that's not his nature. By the way, Samuel, maybe tonight you could tune in to calvaryessay.com at 7 o'clock because I'm going to be dealing with um, some of these same questions uh, from Isaiah's perspective. You know, God's showing this great vision and yet he looks around at the world that he lives in and it doesn't look like any of those promises could possibly come true. And he really wrestles with, okay, why am I feeling like this? And I think that's a good thing. So Samuel, I hope that helps. Please don't misunderstand when I say things. Here is an anonymous question. Is it okay for a believer to stop medical treatment for a terminal illness? Anonymous, I believe it is. Um, Paula and I have chosen uh, not to have any, you know, heroic measures taken uh, if we go into uh, um, um, death experience. We don't want to be revived or resuscitated. Uh, I'd just soon go to sleep and wake up in the presence of the Lord. Um, but this is something that, that I think what we have to do is bathe these things in prayer. I think we have to be honest with our family members. And uh, we got to remember that even on our deathbed, we're ser- servants of God. And sometimes I've seen people hang on for a very long time. And really the reason that God was allowing that was because the people in the family needed the time to deal with it. And as a servant, if somebody needs me to be around a little bit longer so that they can deal with it, then that's what I want to do. But there's no prohibition for um, saying, you know what, I just don't want to take this treatment anymore. Uh, I'm going to die anyway. Let me just just die in peace. Uh, I, I think that's fine. I'm, I'm perfectly content, anonymous, to let um, my end or Paula's end be in the hands of Jesus. So I think that's really a good question. Thank you for asking. Let's go to line one. We've got Anonymous on the phone. Anonymous, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Um, hey, Ron, good to talk to you. 
Uh, Rana, my grand, my grandson who lives with me, um, he has some friends, and also including him. And when you ask them, or you know, I've asked him, you are you going to heaven? They'll say uh, yes, and I'll say, well, what makes you think you're going to go to heaven? And they'll say, what Christ did for me on the cross. So you think, oh, well, okay. Um, but their lifestyle does not show that they are walking for Christ or anything like that. So, I don't know. I think they know salvation, what Christ did, but they're they're living in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we, we give uh, so much information to, to kids that are raised in church. They know all the answers. But one of the things that I think this is a great job for a grandma, a uh, great job is to sit them down and say, okay, but what evidence is there that you really are a Christian? Mm-hmm. I know you believe. I know it's Jesus' work on the cross. But, but is that answer just in your head or is that answer in your heart? You know, I've got a question. I won't get to it today, Anonymous, but it's a question about Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 10, where it talks about uh, on the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, when, when uh, Jesus returns and, and, and exacts vengeance on a Christ-rejecting world and the earth uh, is going to be destroyed and, and, and burn up in fire. And the next verse says, What kind of lives ought we then to live? in light of the knowledge that Jesus is going to come in judgment. And uh, mm-hmm. I think w- one of the things that we've got to communicate to these kids is that um, Jesus will not be mocked. He knows who are his. And I like to ask people, and I've done yeah. this with some of the kids at our school and our church, um, I-, I like to ask them this, have you ever lived one minute of your life just for Jesus? Just for Jesus. Do you get up in the morning mm-hmm. and talk to him? Do you get up in the morning and think about him? Have you said, Lord, I surrender to your will for my life? You see, that's what it means to be born again. And it's a very, very good opportunity to to teach them what being born again really means. And at that point, the Holy Spirit will then sort of take over, and he won't let that go. Uh, that'll be something okay. that will ring in their hearts and minds for a long time. But we, what we don't want to do, and I, I, I bless your heart for bringing this up today, but uh, what we don't want to do is give somebody who's living for this world, living like this world, we don't want to give mm-hmm. them any sense of false hope. We don't want to give them a sense okay. that they're secure in their sin because the Bible never does that. So uh, I, I ask this question of my grandkids, and uh, I ask this question of the kids here at the school and the church. Uh, all the time. Well, well, you say you're a Christian, but why? And let mm-hmm. them think about it. That's something, and of course, I know you're going to be praying for them constantly, uh, but make no mistake, uh, a lot of people who call Jesus Lord really don't belong to him. That's why Jesus said on the day of judgment, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And mm-hmm. um, the, the question mm-hmm. is, what does Jesus know about you, and does he really know you? You know about him, because we drag you to church, Mm -hmm. but what does he know about you? How would you justify the decisions you're making, the language that you use, the the music that you listen to? How would you justify that if you were standing Mm -hmm. before God right now on the cross? 
or on the day of judgment. And, and if they say, well, it's the cross, I'm saved by the cross, and Jesus might look at you and say, you never came to the cross. Yeah, oh gosh, that's good. Yeah, be honest and be loving, yeah. but uh, and keep praying for them, but don't give them false hope. Okay. okay. I wasn't quite sure how to answer, but thank you. Yeah. You gave me so much to talk say to them. And one more question. Okay. Um, listened to some Bible teachers talking, and they have said that uh, when we go to heaven, we'll have a new name. Mm-hmm. Now, is that is that correct? Yes, it is. Revelation chapter three, and um, oh, okay, t- t- yeah, um, with a new a stone with a new name on it. I can't wait to get to heaven to hear Jesus and that voice. It sounds like the the, the sound of rushing waters. Call me mm. by that that new voice. You know, uh, when I do funerals. Oh, yeah. Um, I talk a lot about the, the, this person who just died on the day, the moment when, when it was time an angel would come and take the real person out of that old body mm. and immediately go in the presence of the Lord. They would look at him uh, with that face shining like the sun and all of its brilliance, and they would hear that voice that sounds like many rushing waters, and they're going to hear a new name, and instantly they're going to know it's Jesus talking to them. And that new name will have a meaning, but it's it's just a, a symbol of a whole new order of things. So, yeah, we'll have a new name, oh, wow. um, a new destination. I can't wait. Oh, me either. Gosh. Well, <laughs> thank you. God bless you, brother. <laughs> thank you thank very you much. So I appreciate much. the call. Uh, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. You know, I was just thinking uh, as as we're ending that phone call, um, our son, our older son, Ronnie, um, one day he came into Paula. It's one of the reasons, I, just one of the reasons I love Paula so much. But he, she came, Ronnie came into it and he was going to get a haircut and get all fixed up. And uh, I guess we'd done a Bible study or something about the rapture of the church. And, and Ronnie said, well, I want to look good for the rapture. And Paula looked right at him and said, well, what makes you think you're going? And the look on his face, he said, well, gee, Mom, thanks for, like, crashing all my hopes and dreams. And she told him, no, I I don't want you to have any misconception. The only people going in the rapture are not sons of Christians or daughters of Christians. It's going to be people who are born again. And, Ronnie, you're not born again, so you won't be going. And Ronnie is a child that got saved. I think we've got to be that direct, in love with our kids. One other quick one, then I'll go to Jackie in just a moment. Uh, when we were at our vacation at the beach, and I have our grandkids there, and uh, they stayed overnight um, um, one night uh, with us, and we woke up in the morning, we'd do a Bible study, it was a Sunday, we're doing a Bible study, and, and, and singing and worshiping, and, and uh, these kids, are, this is my unsaved um, son's kids and um, one of them said to me she said well Yana who is our granddaughter well she's she's a Christian and she's going to heaven well we we haven't become Christians yet does that mean we're going to the other place now this is an unsaved family and I've got these kids who are listening to us talk about Jesus all the time 
And I had to be honest with them. And I said, yeah, that's what it means. But the good news is you can change that. And they all made a profession of faith and we prayed for them to receive Christ. I don't know if they meant it. It doesn't appear that they did. They were young. But at the, at the point of, of t- in time, it was important to tell the truth. So we tell the truth in love. Let's go to line one and talk with Jackie. Jackie, thank you for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor. This is Kelly's mom, Jackie. I I know that, Jackie. How are you doing? Good to hear from you. <laughs> Listen, I was so blessed by the, the anonymous person mm-hmm. who wanted to know about stopping medication. Mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with uh, stage 4B, uh, cancer of the uh, oh uh, ovarian ovarian cancer mm-hmm. you know um, I think maybe in July or August but anyway I took three double rounds of chemo and I decided no more mm-hmm. I just stopped it pastor you know and my thing is I'm a child of God and God can uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm trusting God with my life, with or without chemo. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I yep. just wanted to to uh, to share that with your listening audience and to thank the uh, anonymous caller. You know, for posing that question. Yeah, thank you, Jackie. I'm so sorry to hear that. And uh, just so you know, you have now been added to my prayer list for people who are suffering from. Uh, cancer and, and other terminal illnesses. So uh, I will be praying, and I would really appreciate if you just keep us posted on on how you're doing from time to time. I sure will, Pastor. I sure will. Give my love to to uh, Sister Paula and, and the uh, Calpy family. I'll do it. Thank you, mm-hmm. Jackie, and God oh, bless so you. I'll be, I'll be. We'll be praying. Oh. That's bad news. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go to uh, another question. Um, we're inside four minutes. I got time for that. I think I'll take this. James says, Pastor, on with another church shooting, should churches take extraordinary security measures? Um, what security measures does your church take? You know, James, I've really, really struggled with this. You know, it's easy to overreact to to these things. You know, we've been doing this for nearly 25 years, and and um, we've never had any problems. And uh, you know, I, I just think it is it, it demonstrates a, a a reasonable lack of faith when something happens, something that is an anomaly, um, and and suddenly we just make all these kinds of changes. You know, these churches shootings are not 9/11. Uh, they're going to affect very few people, and 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 honestly, James, when when I, I have people come to church here, I want them thinking about Jesus. I don't want them to see super armed security. I don't want to um, I don't want to talk about uh, the fearful things in this world. Uh, I want to talk to them about Jesus. I want to teach the Bible, and I have really really struggled because we've had people in the church come to me and say, "Well, we need to do this," and then other people. So listen, you know, you, if you're not being a good pastor, you're not taking care of your people if you don't uh, provide extra security and train them all what to do. Uh, and, and you know what? I, I just refuse to give in to fear. So we are not taking extraordinary security measures at all. I can tell you this. Uh, we have um, 
um, a lot of people, mature, committed, on fire believers, who uh, are are always carrying concealed weapons. Um, they have talked to me, uh, and uh, we've we've let them know should something happen, this is what we want to have happen. We have police officers in our church who are always caring as well, um, and. Um, I feel really, really safe and secure. Um, that's not being arrogant. It's not being um, um, ignorant of the fact that bad things really happen. Uh, it's just that I, I, I don't want to set an example of being a pastor who's going to change everything because of a tragedy that happens uh, in this place or that place. And Again, the truth is we live in this fallen world and bad things can happen anywhere. We could be anywhere. Um, but we can choose not to live our lives in fear. When Jesus said, do not worry about anything, be anxious for nothing, in another translation, I really take him at his word. I think he meant that. And so what we do is we cast our cares, those things that we're anxious about, we cast those cares upon him and let him carry it. And uh, I, I'm just not going to give in to uh, to panic, to fear, uh, just because something happened. Uh, might change a little bit if we got a specific threat, um, but um, just because something happened somewhere else, and this is a crazy world we live in, we're not going to do it here at Calvary Chapel. So James, thank you for the question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program today, 340-9585 or 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the Word to Stand On for Life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the show. 30 minutes left, and we'd love your phone calls at 340-9585. I've got two anonymous questions that I promised I would get today, so I'm going to start with that while we wait for any phone calls to come. Uh, this first one is uh, it's, uh, somebody who says, I visited your church, your church and noticed how you hug other women a lot. Does Paula approve of that? And why do you not avoid the appearance of evil? When I got this question today, um, I, I thought about how far we who are believers have fallen in the way we think, in the way we approach things. Uh, to even come up with a question like this. Obviously, I have no idea who you are and what's going on in your life, um, but I do hug everybody a lot. Uh, I hug men and I hug women. I hug children. Um, um, I always ask for permission first if it's somebody for the first time. Uh, you know, when men stick their hand out to shake it, I'll say, look, I'm a hugger. Is that okay? If it's a woman, I don't know. Um, I'm a hugger. Is it okay if I hug you? And um, I've done that 
my entire life in ministry, uh, and, and I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change. The Apostle Paul writes, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Now think about that for a moment. We ask the question, how, how could you interpret me hugging my family as the appearance of evil? Uh, Paul is listening to this program. I'll, I'll ask her tomorrow on the show when she's here her reaction to it. But, um, I, I mean, it would take a, 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 a an obsessed, jealous woman to, to be offended by that. Or maybe if I didn't hug Paula, if I ignored Paula, then she wouldn't be so thrilled with it. But but that's not the, not the case. Anonymous, please hear my heart on this. Um, do you think in the first century church, Book of Acts, chapter 2, do you think they hugged one another? They're known by their love. Do you think they hugged one another? Paul writes over and over, greet one another with a holy kiss. And that holy kiss would be what we see um, in Eastern cultures, you know, father, son, spirit, cheek, 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 one side to the other. Um, do you think anybody thought that was the appearance of evil? The people that come into this house, when people come into my home, my home home, we greet them with a hug. This is also my home. And this is even more important to love people because this is Jesus' home. And what I'm trying to do is represent Him. And believe me, there isn't a trace of anything sexual about this. Uh, I, I have people who thought I was mad at him if I was busy and walked by without giving him a hug. I want to be known as a man who people knows, really knows, that I love them. And this is family. Some of these people have been, have been with me for nearly the whole time we've been in this church. Some of us have grown old together. Some of the, the, the women that you see me hug were born in this church, and now they're young women. They're like my own kids and grandkids. Uh, if I see my two sons, they live in California. If I see them after not seeing them for a while, uh, I'll kiss them on the lips. And they love it. I mean, why wouldn't we kiss our family? Why wouldn't we hug our family? And I would ask you, Anonymous, to really check your heart that you would see something like that and consider that the appearance of evil. I want people to know they're loved here, they're appreciated, and they have great value. And frankly, because of some sort of perverse thought process, uh, I'm not going to stop loving the people here. I'm just not going to worry about it. I think that's really, really important. Here's another anonymous question. Said if a Christian couple divorced because of adultery, is remarriage permitted for the one who committed the adultery? Oh boy, that's a hard question. Uh, technically, the answer would be no. Um, 
Paul says if somebody divorces, um, then uh, without biblical grounds, they should uh, should remain unmarried. But if we're honest about this, we're really logical about this. When somebody who committed adultery does so, they do it because they're not walking with the Lord. They're doing it because they're being ruled by their flesh. So if that man or woman who committed adultery now is alone and wants to be married, do you think they're going to care what Jesus does? You know, if somebody is cheating on their wife or cheating on their husband, my first question to them, if they would come to me for direction or counseling, would be, I thought you were a Christian. What happened? And they would say, well, I am a Christian. And I'd say, yeah, but Christians can't do what you're doing and you're unwilling to stop, so what makes you think you're a Christian? The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5, people who live like you're living will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's not being duplicitous about the, the, the issue of eternal security. Remember I said over and over, the Bible is written in a way to make people who are living in willful sin feel insecure. And I want to give them the information to make a choice. If you really belong to Jesus, then you'll do what he says. If you refuse to do what he says, then what makes you think you belong to Jesus? Yes. Now if that person would come to me after the fact, and we do, we get this by the way, uh, people that, that the marriage before that they messed up uh, wasn't while they were coming to our church and they'll come and they're interested in starting a relationship with somebody again or getting already involved in a relationship and they'll, they'll ask, okay, is it okay for me to remarry? I did this, I'm sorry I did it. Now I've got somebody else. What I'd want to do is sit down and talk to them about where their heart is now. Why aren't you going to cheat on this woman? Or why aren't you going to cheat on this man like you did the first time? Um, so, you know, divorce is an issue of the hardness of heart. And people whose hearts are hard simply don't care what God says. So if I tell somebody who wants to get remarried, even though they've committed adultery and been divorced, if I say, no, you can't remarry, you know what that person's going to do? They're just going to find somebody else who will remarry them. I think the integrity that lacks when our hearts get hard is overwhelming. And so honestly, anonymous, they're not going to care. Uh, I, I would never remarry somebody who was guilty of adultery if they were unremorseful, unrepentant, um, if they hadn't demonstrated that their heart was for Jesus now completely, um, if it was somebody who I knew's life had been transformed, um, then I probably would. But there'd be a lot of discussion about it. So that's that's the best answer that I can give you. I don't think there's a yes or no answer. I think what is the condition of your heart that makes the biggest difference? So I hope that helps, Anonymous. Thank you. Let's go to Jeff calling from San Antonio on line one. Jeff, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor. I just wanted to, I was thinking about Paul, just like bristling with that question. Um, like, <laughs> I don't know, like ready to call. Let me, let me call, call in. I, that just makes me so sad. So sad. Yeah, it really does. I, I hugged you and your wife, and, and you didn't even come to our church. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, you know I, I, I think, 
I think, Pastor, you know, our culture has become also so so sensitized to the, the, the sexual harassment. You know, we get so much training in it now. Even a lot of the, the mainline churches are requiring that leaders take a, a, a pretty extensive course on sexual harassment. And in some ways, it's, it's good, but I, I think, you know, immediately, even Christians are just like they're, some of them are just conditioned to, to, to think wrongly. And it's different when you're in the open. You know, you're not hugging someone around the corner. That would be a totally different thing. But you're hugging people openly in there, and I mean, come on. I mean, <laughs> come on. You know, Jeff, Amar- a marvelous thing happens by the power of the Spirit when you're hugging somebody. Physical touch is really an important element. And when, when, when I'm hugging somebody, um, the Lord will speak to my heart sometimes about something they're struggling with or dealing with, give me a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. Um, sometimes I just know there's something different and I can ask them about it and pray for them. And, um, you know, that, that wouldn't happen in a sterile environment. I want these people to know that I'm invested in them and that I love them. And uh, I, I, I think they really do. I'll tell you one change I have made is, I, I mentioned it a moment ago, is if I don't know somebody, uh, I'll ask them, I'm a hugger, is it okay if I hug you and wait for their permission? And that's, that's sort of a change I've made in light of this, this world that we live in now. But uh, it's just not something I'm going to stop. When you said, it just made me sad, when you said our minds are so conditioned to think, well, that's why we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's what Romans 12 is all about. We need to be transformed. We, we, we can't think like we used to think or like the world thinks. And if we're in the Word and if we're walking with Jesus, then we're going to have a completely different perspective on those things. I'll share with you too, Pastor. My wife, Veronica, coming from Mexico, her culture is, you know, with family, they're much more open. But when I came into her life as a more gregarious American uh, and we started doing our ministry work together, uh, she she struggled with me being so openly, uh, uh, not a, I guess affectionate is the right word, mm-hmm. but just with hugging. Uh, it's taken a while for us to get over that, and uh, but really it's it was more more than that. It was just a matter of, her, of trust for her because you know her first marriage ended with with her husband cheating on her for about three years, and so she she had a she had a. Uh, you know, a, a real soft spot for that. But she also has a heart for ministry, and she knows how important it is for for brothers and sisters to have physical contact like that. It, yeah. It's so meaningful. And, you know, and, and like with Joy Jesus, you know, some of these people haven't had a, an authentic, loving hug in who knows how long. And to just be embraced by its experience, you know, the love of Jesus and enfolding around them is just something that... Uh, I can't wait to hear Paul get in on this tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. You know, when uh, I, I ask people, is it okay? I'm a hugger. Is that okay? I've had some people say no. And I say, well, that's fine. No problem. And I'll extend my hand. And and um, it, it's not usually very long before those people come back and they'll ask questions, talk, and and they'll occasionally say something to me like, well, aren't you going to ask if it's okay to hug me? 
And I said, do you want me to? Yes. Is it okay if I can? They said, yes. And and you win people over that way. You know, love wins. Uh, when we went to, or we did our, our Joy Jesus. It wasn't a, a Joy Jesus here. It was in New York. Uh, it was the year after 9-11, on the, on the anniversary of 9-11. And we didn't have a big crowd there, but just for us, it was just our group. And... Um, you know, people say you can't hug people in New York and you can't talk to them. And uh, we went to another Calvary Chapel. And when they said, would you, before the, after the worship and before everybody sits down, well, turn to your neighbor and greet them. And, and so we who are from Calvary Chapel, San Antonio, we started going all over the building, hugging people and greeting them. And people looked at like we were crazy. But you know what? Every one of them liked it. It breaks down barriers. We got to hug a gang kid who gave his life to Jesus on a subway. We're on our way to Coney Island, and the next to last stop before Coney Island, it's the last stop on that particular train, is um, Bedford Stuy. It's one of the worst housing projects um, in our country. And he was going there, and he was clearly a gangster and and we started telling him about Jesus and one of the ladies who was talking to him he said I don't want anything to do with your white man's Jesus and she said what makes you think he's white he's only for white men and he went on and using not delicate language explained why he believed that And she looked at him and she said, well, then make your Jesus black. What do you mean make my Jesus black? Well, Jesus is a personal God. Think of him as black if that's what will help you. He goes, you mean Jesus could be like me? He could love me? And you could see the Holy Spirit tear all of those walls down. And in a matter of 10 minutes, this was a believer with tears, this gangster with tears running down his face. And he stood like a little child as he exited the subway train and we slowly pulled away. He stood like a little child waving with his hand with tears running down his face. We all got to hug him. We all got to welcome him to the family of God. You will know them by their love. I'm afraid that we are more interested in appearance and keeping things sterile and not being threatening or threatened that we lose so many opportunities. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate the call. I'm sure Paula will weigh on on that tomorrow. Henry says, Pastor Ron, what is a godly way to handle a disagreement in doctrine? with your pastor. Um, Henry, uh, I'm sure you're a godly man. You're asking the question the right way. So here's what you do. You schedule an appointment with him. Don't approach him. Please don't approach him um, after the service when there's a line of people around him. One of the things that is really hard for me to deal with is is people that want to have counseling sessions or people that want to meet with me between services. we got 20 minutes between services and I'm surrounded by people the whole time. Um, um, they want to do it while they're there. I say, why don't you make an appointment? We'll talk about this. And most of the time they don't want to do that. They just want to do it while we're there. 
I had Henry, somebody just two weeks ago, who came up to me and introduced himself. I'd never seen him before. It was a joy being at your church today, Pastor Ron. Uh, the message spoke to my heart. He said, very matter-of-factly, and then he criticized immediately, without knowing me at all, criticized something that I said. I said it as a figure of speech, and he didn't listen to that. Um, and he wanted to be sure he corrected me before I left. Um, that's not the way, the godly way to handle a disagreement. Um, the thing for you to do, Henry, is to make an appointment, go in with your Bible, not to enter a debate, but just say to him, in this doctrine of, and explain to him what you believe, and ask him why he's come to the conclusions that he's come to, and then you decide. You're not going to change him. So you're going to decide whether or not you can continue to walk in fellowship with him, whether you can continue to call that your church. But never try to change him. By all means, don't go talking to people in the church about your disagreement in doctrine. That's dividing the flock. That is the opposite of unity. Um, and Henry, if you can live with the difference, do so and serve him with all of your heart. If you can't live with it, then thank him for everything that he's done and, and um, tell him you'll see him in heaven, but you're going to, because of this doctrine, find another church. We've had people leave our church, uh, Henry, because of doctrine. I had a, uh, a guy that I really loved, and, and uh, he had been persuaded um, by listening to radio preachers to be a Calvinist. And um, he said, I want to know if you're going to change or if you'll at least be open to considering changing your position, or I'm going to have to leave. And I said, hate to see you go, but God bless you. Um, and there are other doctrinal areas where people have decided that they were going to go find a church that more lined up with their belief. They didn't want to talk about it biblically. They didn't want to listen to why I am the way I am or what I teach. If their mind was made up, they found somebody on YouTube who agreed with them and that was all that mattered. So Henry, be a godly man and handle it directly in love and with great respect. And the Lord will be pleased. 340-9585. Here's a question from Brian. He says, My question is about bivocational pastors. Doesn't it divide a pastor's heart? if he works a secular job and pastors a church? Brian, that's such a hard question. You know, there are a lot of churches that simply cannot afford to pay their pastors a livable salary. And many of those pastors are youngish men with families and, and often with young children. And um, um, so they really don't have a choice. Um I think when we have a bivocational pastor, uh, we ought to be more generous with our giving. I think we ought to be um, understanding and compassionate. Um, certainly, it's not our position to question his heart. Um, I believe every church needs a full-time pastor. Whether there's 20 people in the church or 2,000 people, every church needs a full-time pastor, one whose heart and energy can be spent um, pastoring the flock. 
but the practical reality is it's not always possible. And, and pastors who are bivocational have a really, really difficult job, both of them. Because their heart's in the ministry, and yet they've got to go serve uh, their, their worldly bosses, and they've got to bring home and provide for their families. Uh, so um, uh, I think if you have a bivocational pastor, then it's time to start praying for the church to be more generous and provide a living wage so they can do it. I don't know a bivocational pastor who doesn't want to be full-time. And I know a lot of them. Um, but they also don't want to render their church impotent financially. Um, a bivocational pastor has to have a heart to serve, and he's just going to be serving two things. I know a lot of bivocational pastors who are up to 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, um, because that's the only real time they can have quiet and prepare for their Bible studies. It's a hard, hard thing. So be very, very compassionate for your bivocational pastor and pray for him. i got time, I think, for one more question on this program. It's from Dennis. He says, It seems to me like churches are having difficulty with unity because of politics. Can I have your thoughts, please? Um, Dennis, uh, you know, I, if you've listened to this program frankly, in any length of time, I've dealt with this question repeatedly. Um, politics have no place in the church. Uh, if I'm going to stand up and preach a message and I'm going to um, say that Jesus is a Republican with my words and my actions, uh, then I'm cutting out half of the people in the church that need to hear God's word. They're not going to listen to the thing I said. The same thing would be true if I, if I uh, 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 took a progressive view of, of things and, and uh, I, I, would, I would alienate, disenfranchise the other half. My job is to stand in the pulpit and teach the word, to teach people about Jesus. And I think the, the lack of unity or the disunity because of politics is because politics shouldn't even have a place in the church. So, Dennis, find a church where politics have no place. Um, we don't pass out voters' guides. We don't spend one minute of our time um, educating people to vote Republican. Um, what we do is we teach people who Jesus is. We let them become more like him in this process of sanctification. And then... Um, as they become more like Jesus, then he'll have their heart and they'll vote with their conscience right before God. That's our only role when it comes to politics. But you're absolutely right. There is a lot of disunity in the church because politics are too big an issue and uh, it just should never be the case where one minute of our time together as a body be spent embracing and endorsing a candidate or a platform. I got one candidate who happens to be king, so he doesn't need me to promote him. And my job is to tell people who he is. So Dennis, I hope that answers. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. Paula will be live in studio uh, tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. God willing, I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. 
The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Well,